Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we proudly present our spectacular show of podcast magic and imagination full of Disney wonder news and pop culture, the Main Street Electrical Podcast with Jen Novotny and David Dollar. Hey, Jen. Hey, Dave. Welcome back to the Main Street Electrical Podcast. Episode number two. That's right. So I got to, I got some pretty good feedback on episode one. I don't know if anybody reached out to you, but I had several messages yeah. telling me they liked it. They liked the show. They like, it sounded good. People are like, you have great chemistry. You guys really work well together. And I'm like, I love it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I was, I was very, very happy with it. And, me too. Uh, you know, so thanks so for we'll, coming back again. Yeah. Thanks you guys for, thanks for listening. Well, thanks for listeners, for the listeners coming back to the show, downloading yeah. episode two. Apparently you liked what you heard in the first one. Thanks to Jen for coming back and saying, you know, I guess I'll come back and with David Dollar again and, you know, give of my time, my valuable time. I mean, you know, it's sacrifice, but someone's got to do it. My valuable errand running time. Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> so one question for you. How All did right. you Disney this week? Oh, how did I Disney this week? Well, I will say that all weekend while we were running around because it was, a you know, Memorial Day weekend, um, we listened to Disney music in the car the entire time. I'm talking the area music loop from Epcot, which is like my absolute favorite, like from Up in Future World. Nice. Um, the Tomorrowland complete loop, which I have, the complete mm-hmm. Soren soundboard, of the course. old Jeremy Irons version of Spaceship Earth. Um, I'm trying to think like, yeah, we had a bunch of stuff, but definitely that was our entire playlist. Oh, and the resort TV loop from like 2006 and seven, which is our mm-hmm. favorite one. Um, but how did you Disney this week? Well, I do have another podcast. Of course, not as cool as this one, but I have okay. a movie, movie podcast I co-host. Uh, that That's podcast is the Deuce Cast <laughs> Movie Show. And uh, we did a, a, an episode, uh, basically summer movie goals. These are goals over the summer of things mm-hmm. we want to accomplish. And, and I have a list of a couple of Disney movies that I've never seen or I've never seen fully what? or front to back. Oh, there's you'd be surprised how many Disney movies I've never seen. Um, and I've decided this summer I got to start. I got to start knocking some of these things off. Yeah, like live so action I've, or so animated? I've listed, well, live action, uh, okay. animated combinations. So I've listed five, my first five films I'm going to watch over okay. the next two weeks. I'm just going to take them in, get on Disney Plus. They're all yeah. there. Um, and I'm gonna, and here you go. And you're, you may be a little shocked by not knowing I haven't seen these. Uh, Bedknobs and Broomsticks. I've never seen it. I've never <gasps> seen a second of that movie. What? Ever. That never hurts seen me. It. Taking that one uh, The new Jungle Book. Uh, I've seen the oh, old okay. one, but I've, ne- okay. I've heard the new one is great, so I'm going to watch that. Uh, the new Pete's Dragon. I did not like the old I Pete's did, Dragon. I did not see the new one either. I, but I'm going to see the there. new one. I'm going to see the new one. Lady and the Tramp, the original. I've never Stop. seen it. Stop. I've never seen it. Uh, it's I it's can't. just never crossed my path. I can't. So I've never seen it. Uh, and the black hole from the late seventies and uh, okay. You know, so we hopefully have an episode coming up where some guys are going to come on and we're going to talk about the black hole kind of. An you know, I've never seen the black so. hole. I don't. Well, think. Uh, yeah. Those are the first five I want to see, and I think Bed Knobs and Lady and the Tramp are probably the two biggest ones. Those th- those are like two must sees in my opinion. I loved those growing up. Well, and well, the thing was when I was growing up, we didn't really watch a lot of Disney stuff. And back then, and you may be too young to remember this, but Disney Channel used to be like a premium service. You had to. Oh yeah. Yeah, you had to pay for it. Pay for it for like eight bucks a month or 10 bucks a month Mm -hmm. or whatever back in the 80s. And you had to Mm -hmm. pay for it. And so we never got it. We had HBO and that was it. And growing up. And so I never watched a lot of those Disney movies. And when I got to college, I was broke. So I had to be very careful how many movies I purchased. So I I had the big ones. I had Aladdin. I had the Clamshell, Lion King, and Beauty and the Beast and so on. Um, 
and the things you know, would stay in the vault too. So was, like yeah, they had we the were, vault, but the, you couldn't get them. We both grew up in the era of the vault, and yeah. so and when and this is back in the '90s too, when movies would come yep. out, like Hercules came out, and it was like twenty four dollars for the video. Cassette. Oh my gosh, yeah, easily. The, and that was cool before Blu-ray. That yeah. was like just straight up. That was the, the video DVD. cassette. Um, or the cassette, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Cassette. And even the DVD was like 20 bucks or 25 Yeah, that was still DVD. 20 bucks. And so I didn't have that money. I was broke. I no. broke for like 10 straight years in college right after college. So I, I, so I didn't what have- What college kid isn't broke? I didn't really have a chance to watch these films. So yeah. Disney Plus is now going to give me the chance to go back and just watch a yeah. lot of these movies. So those are my five I'm going to watch. And, nice. and I made a list. Of, I've made a list of several, uh, um, probably 10 or 15 of these films. But uh, I Disney this week by making that list of deciding how which movies nice. I'm going to take out first. And hopefully I will come back to you in the next week or so and say, Jen, I have seen Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. I am looking forward to that because that was, like yes. I said, one of my favorites. Oh, I, I love still the sit music. down and watch it. Portobello Road is fantastic. I love it. Oh, Portobello. it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, it's a great music. I just don't know the movie. So I'm going to watch yeah, it. Yeah, you'll love it. So yeah, I got to ask you, how was your birthday? You had a birthday this week. I uh, did have a birthday. 32 years old. Thir- Congratulations. Yay. 30. Ah, just kidding. It. We know it's 34. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> um, it was not a big birthday, but I am very close to a big one. So right. um, it was but it was really good. My birthday always falls on Memorial Day. Pretty Well, Memorial Day weekend. Right. Um, so pretty much, I don't. I don't think it's ever not fallen like the week of, I mean, it's obviously just like, we're always right around Memorial day. Typically we're in Disney though. Like for the past five years, we've been in Disney on my birthday. So it was kind of weird, but it was wonderful. Um, My hubby was a rock star. He like woke up early. He brought me Starbucks like in bed. So awesome. Like I woke up to my Starbucks, which was great. And then he also had gotten me Panera breakfast. And then we, um, Gosh, we did a lot of we did a lot of driving around downtown, and he went. We went to Monroeville, which I don't know if, if you're from Pittsburgh, you know Monroeville. If you're not, you're like, hey, whatever, whatever. But there's like a, a fabulous Italian bakery down there, and we d- went down to pick up my custom ordered birthday cake, which I'm telling you, what is like the best cake ever. It is Very so nice. good. Very um, nice. Yeah, so it was just it was a really good birthday. Then we saw my parents, and we had a nice steak dinner. So, you know, like homemade by my dad, he makes good steaks. So yeah, it was just, it was really fun. Well, happy birthday. That's really, really cool. Okay. So the two questions are number one, what is your Starbucks of choice? When you go there and you're ready to order, what order do you say that this is the drink that I want? If you're at a Starbucks where they have everything you need, what do you order? Um, right now my, I'm on a kick for the honey almond milk flat white. Okay. And, um, if it's like, uh, you know, hot outside i usually get an almond milk coffee frappuccino okay very nice you're Typically. you're big i'm big into almond milk i can i, I can love see. almond milk i really do so and what is your birthday cake of choice if it's the perfect birthday cake what are we looking at honestly the one i just ate which was um italian vanilla mm-hmm. with raspberry filling Ooh, and awesome. buttercream that sounds really good. It has got to have buttercream. That sounds really good. We had several birthdays in our family this past weekend. So the wife's family and, and I, we all got together and had like a birthday cake for celebrating yeah. April birthdays and such mm-hmm. and May birthdays or whatever. And and they had a strawberry cake. My mother-in-law made a wonderful, nice. incredible, uh, thick uh, buttercream cake with strawberries on top and everything. <gasps> yes. My cake of choice, if it's not cheesecake, which I will always take a cheesecake okay. for any birthday. But That's my fair. cake of choice is coconut. I love a good coconut cake. You and Brady, he loves but coconut cake. But I will tell you i'm a pie person over cake if you okay. in front of me and say coconut cream pie coconut cake i'm probably going to go for that coconut cream pie 
just, I'm, I'm a fair. pie guy. What can I say? You're a pie guy. I'm a pie yes, guy. So coconut cream is your favorite pie. Yes. March 14th is a big day for me because I love pie. And so, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, all a, the pies. it's, it's exactly coconut. There's a lemon ice box, maybe chocolate cream, whatever. Mm-hmm. So good stuff. I like a good apple pie though. As long as I need apple pie where it's hot with ice cream on top. A la mode. I'm a big a la mode guy. And so, cause it really ice cream with, with cinnamon anything. ice cream. Oh, that's, that, that sounds delectable. Have you not had cinnamon ice cream with your apple pie? I don't think I ever have. What? I don't, I don't, I don't know that that's a Southern thing. I'm down here in the South. I'm not sure that cinnamon ice cream is a thing. Well, so cinnamon ice cream is a thing in Pittsburgh. At least it, I mean, it's harder to find now because right. it's 24 hour restaurant called Kings. I don't know if they have them in other parts of the country, quite honestly, but it's kind of a dive. I'm not going to lie. You know, like at one point, probably in the eighties, it was like a family style restaurant. Well, we have a Dairy sort of- Queen and a birthday <laughs> King, a Burger King, and we have a Jack's around here. It's a hamburger oh, place. Oh, so yeah, I've heard of Jack's. We've got, we've got the suite going on there, the full card suite. So. No, this was yeah. just called straight up Kings. It's like, but you know, certain ones that kind of got run down, and a lot of them up here have gone out of business. But they had phenomenal ice cream, and you could buy their cinnamon ice cream by the quart. That and we would always do that. Doggone good. It's really good. Now, peach ice cream is a big thing down here. Everybody loves the oh, peach ice okay. cream. That's a huge thing in the South is peach ice cream. There is actually an ice cream location about 30 miles south of my home in a small town. And they have, it's called the Peach Park. And you go okay. there, they have a whole store set up with all kinds of, you know, markety things and crafts and arts or whatever. And the ice cream store, mm. you got all your vanilla, but peach ice cream is the big one. They have a big water tower that looks like a peach. And it really looks like a butt. So to me, I call it the peach butt. And so it's nice and fuzzy. And so anyway, but the peach ice cream is fantastic. I love the peach ice well, cream there. I'm not even say, a big peaches fan. I love peaches ice cream. I will say that we have really good peach ice cream up here because the Penn State Creamery, which is like Penn State main campus is what, like two and a half hours from Pittsburgh. Okay. But they had, it was, at least it was called Peachy Paterno, but they have a creamery on site, which is like world renowned and it right. is really good. And so, yeah. Well, ice cream would also be something you could get at Universal if you decide to go. And apparently, they are reopening. Ladies and gentlemen, that is called a transition. Um, so yeah, very nice. I applaud you. <laughs> so Universal came out this week with uh, with their opening. Yep. They are going to be opening June 1st for some people, June 3rd, mm-hmm. 2nd, 3rd, something like that, and then June 5th to the public. The and the public. I believe you got some details there in front of you. Is that right? Uh, do I have some details in front of me? I mean, I so far what we know is this. And keep in mind, we don't know everything yet. Masks are required is what we do know for right. sure. You must wear a mask. Uh, there are going to be some temperature screenings. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to be um, you know, taped out for social distancing right. in terms of cues, uh, things of that nature. Um, one thing, and maybe you've heard that I haven't yet. I've been looking for things about the resort stays and I've not really come up with anything about on-site resort stays. You know. So right now, I think it's more just, you can go to the park. Right. Like if you have a pass, if you buy a ticket, you can go in. Yes, you do have to wear masks. That yes. is 100% something yes. that you have to do right now. Something I have not been able to to verify is how they're going to handle ADA. Because I honestly, Correct. I don't know if health overrides ADA disability because the parks right. are not essential. It's not like you're going to Correct. a hospital or something where you have to be there. Yeah. Um, so they have the right to deny you access they if do. you're not following safety protocol. Yep. But I don't know if the ADA does that. I, I have no I do idea. Not. I, I and, and I don't know that I've not seen any anything about that obviously right. we haven't heard anything because right. it's not officially open yet so i'm going to be interested to see june 1st and then the same thing we haven't heard anything at least i haven't read anything about like are they going to do the express right you know the fast queue they have some that have virtual queues which would be you know that would help a lot with social distancing yes. 
So yeah. I do know that, you know, those that already had virtual queues, of course, that's going to be up again. And in theory, they might start that with other ones. It's going to be a little bit, um, something new came out today about with like some new um, information for agents. So mm-hmm. we have to go through. We just didn't have oh, time before the podcast gotcha. started. We'll, to- we'll definitely parse mm-hmm. through that. But uh, what, I, what I understand, what I've been reading in various blogs and reports and things like that, the, the consensus is that Universal has done a great job with City Walk mm-hmm. so far. Uh, Disney Springs kind of has been a lesser success. I mean, it has been successful, mm-hmm. but apparently they're not as stringent on the masks that they, as some people think they should be. Um, so I think they're having to adjust that. I also read an article this morning, and this is more of a rumor than anything else, but it makes sense that Disney mm-hmm. was kind of caught off guard by Universal's opening of June 1st. Like they were like, they were, when Universal announced that it was, uh, it's been approved by the governor, they're ready to go. The Disney was a little off guard, caught off guard by that. And that, I think a lot of people were quite honestly, because, I can believe that. Um, uh, because I think when, when Universal, we were said, caught off guard, well, we yeah, were like, exactly. oh, what? Okay. Well, when Universal said they were closed through May 31st, that put June 1st as an opening date, but it was very flux. Nobody it really was. knew and it was going to happen. And it said at least. It said exactly. at least. Exactly. Well, Disney had said till further notice, and I think we were all applauding Disney. We were like, don't yes. make any proclamations. That's great. Exactly. But I think the – and this is just my opinion. This is not, not – yeah. I'm, I'm not putting this rumor out there. This is just me being thinking mm-hmm. through it. That that put a hustle on Universal to say we need to open June first if we possibly can. Where well Disney's be. been more lax of let's take our time with it, blah blah blah. Now Universal's like we're ready to open, and Disney's right. like crap, <laughs> dead coming. Yeah, gotta, you know, get on this. And so, but I know. also but like knowing Disney. Disney is so about safety. Right. You know, like that right. is their number one. If you talk to any cast member, yep. safety is number one. And until they know that they can open and have the guest experience the way they want it, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not talking Disney Springs because right. Disney Springs you know, a lot of those third party mm-hmm. and you know, that's, it's a great area. We yeah. love Disney Springs, but that's different than the theme parks. Of course, yeah, of course, you know, because you know, if you think about just the country in general, third party things, well, third party things, <laughs> restaurants and shopping, right, is, right, right. you know, that's opening in general. So like right. keeping Disney Springs closed at that point, especially with it's, you know, retailers that are third party, you know, okay, it makes sense. We need to start opening that up. But I don't, if they don't think they can guarantee the right guest experience, I don't know that Disney will do it until they are confident. And it's more than just announcing an opening date. They've got to announce their policies. They've got to say, we're opening on, I'm making this number up, not going anywhere, but we're opening on June 27th. And along with that, you have to wear masks, temperature screenings, virtual cues, it's going to work, et cetera. They can't just say, hey, we're open June 27th and uh, we'll figure it out from there. I mean, they they had to have a plan in place, which if you, if if I knew, um, I don't know for sure, obviously, but it wouldn't shock me to find out later that they had an opening date for a while, but they had they've been mm-hmm. working on getting all their policies straight. Absolutely. So. In fact, I am I'm confident that they have at least a tentative one in mind, yeah. but they will absolutely not announce it right. until they're ready to announce everything. Right. Now, having heard this, having for the listeners, if you've heard all of this, this will drop on Thursday, which is our, our release day mm-hmm. on, on the podcast. Uh, you know, I've heard rumors that Wednesday may be the day they, they release the date. We don't know. We don't but know. You may hear this going, oh, we already know when they're going to open. We don't know. So uh, right now, yeah. we don't know. Right so. now, we don't know. And for everybody asking me, I'm going to tell you the same thing. I don't know, Jack. I don't know yeah. anything. I don't. And it's know. hard because we get clients who are asking us all the time. And yeah. it's like, I, I really like, I want to know, I, but I can't even forecast. Yeah, I, can, I can't even guess. And, and I've stopped guessing. Yeah. I've stopped even saying, mm-hmm. I think it might open, blah, blah, blah. You don't, know. don't bank I on mean, it. I mean, if someone's I, like, I don't even know. Well, like in October, uh, at this point, I'm like, I, I think you're good. But yeah. who knows? I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not Madame Leota. I'm 
no, but I'll I'm... tell you something that we do know. We had our first guest on to the podcast, oh, and yes, his did. name is Mcnair Wilson. He is an older guy. He's a friend of mine, uh, now a friend of Jen's, a friend of the show. Oh my and, gosh, he's uh, he is. Uh, he's he's helped develop the Tower of Terror. He helped develop, worked on Hollywood Studios, uh, mm-hmm. Disney MGM at the time. Um, he has done a just a number of things that we're going to let him tell you about. So we've got him coming up right yeah. here now. I will say this: he had. We talked for a long time. We talked about two and a half hours. Oh, I think we did. Yeah. No, we can't. We're, we're not going to put out a three hour episode. In a good way. Podcast. Oh, great way. So, awesome. Oh, yeah. Like, but we can't do a three hour episode. We just can't because our numbers yeah. would be like, we like, so, hey, you don't have time for this. So, we're going to break this interview up into about three parts and we're going to mm-hmm. release them over the next probably several months because. Uh, behind the scenes we've talked about it and i think we're just too new of a show to be like hey here's episode one now parts two three and four but one part one we don't want to do right and so we're going to kind of break it up we're going to kind of give the segment here and uh, in this first segment of his interview here he talks about getting hired by uh, none other than marty sklar and meeting the big guy himself, the big cheese himself, Mr. Walton, and, and all those stories will come yes. up to, come up here. Um, and then we'll see you at the other side of the interview, and we'll talk a little bit more about magic moments, contact information, and all that. So let's go and talk to McNair. And for our first guest on the Main Street Electrical Podcast, I am super first excited. Guest. Wait a minute. First guest? You didn't tell me that. Uh, first guest. You're the first guest first on the guest. podcast. The first guest oh, on the podcast. I'm, I'm so excited. Former Imagineer. <laughs> Uh, that's going to be former Imagineer McNair Wilson, my friend. He's met Jen. Now he's Jen's friend, friends all around McNair. Uh, how, how are you, my friend? I'm well, I'm good. My video is not, but that's okay. I can see you. And that's that, the good part. You can't see me. That's the other good part. That's okay. Well, I, I know what you look like and Jen has seen your pictures. So she knows what you look like. So it's all good. It's all good. All the way that's around. All good. Yes. So uh, first question we want to ask you, and this is something we're going to ask all of our guests, but you get the first guest question. How did you Disney this week, McNair? I threw away everything in my house that says Universal on it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, that's not true. You know, it's funny because um, when I when I left Imagineering, uh, one of my uh, I spent um, at the the advice of a friend, I did nothing for a month. Oh, nice. because I left on. A, I mean, I didn't. Because on a, I left on a Friday and Monday I got four calls right. from different organizations. And I didn't put out a memo or send up a smoke signal or anything. But I, I, I found out because I was um, in what's called concept design that one of mm-hmm. my favorite people at Imaginary says there's maybe 100 people on the planet that could take a blank piece of paper and turn it into something worth creating for a theme park. And he says, mm-hmm. you're on that list. And I said, oh. Why didn't somebody tell me I would have asked for a raise? <clears throat> and and one of those calls was universal. And I said, give me a month. And they called back the day before the month was over. And I went over and uh, worked on a bunch of stuff. And we can talk about that later. Because, um, But one, one of my friends said, well, you guys, Disney think you're the only ones that can design good stuff. Well, don't you think Islands of Adventure is good? And I said, yes. Should I tell you the five former Imagineers who designed that park? Or do you just want to go with your angry, angry birds attitude? And uh, I told him about my second project at Universal was they handed me a box of children's books and said, do something with this. And I said, what, a ride, a show? Because uh, I was mostly known yeah. for, for finding, finding ways to make uh, a theme park attraction have live elements. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Disney MGM Studios opened, all the major attractions and I'll talk to Jen about her wisecrack about they didn't have very many rides. Um, <laughs> they didn't have a ton. 
I told you. Um, no, that, that was a that was an interesting. Um, no, that is a that that is a, a universal observation, not, not universal small u observation about that park. When Disney MGM Studios opened, we had five attractions, but the average length of those attractions was about 14, 15 minutes. In the Magic Kingdom, That's it was true. about a minute and a half. So, in terms of what you, how you filled your day, you could fill a day at Disney MGM, mm -hmm. but you did it on five attractions. Hmm. And the thing I've always said about Disney, what Disney does, the best thing we do is we create places. And I found that out the first night I was in rehearsal to play Geppetto in the Christmas parade at Disneyland when I was in high school. A friend of mine had built them this puppet and they said, where are we going to find a puppeteer for this? And Christmas is the busiest time for, for puppeteers. And I was semi-professional. Anyway, long story short, it flew me down on a Tuesday night. In those days, Disneyland was not open Monday and Tuesdays during the winter months. And so huh. we, we were on Main Street USA with a choreographer, an assistant choreographer, and the director of entertainment sitting in director's chairs in front of the Main Street Cinema. And there was Gideon, Gideon Foulfellow, uh, Pinocchio, and mm -hmm. myself. And I had the puppet. And we'd spend about a half hour rehearsing up and down half a block and so on and so on. But I would just stand there during the break and it was completely Disneyland and wow. no one was there. The place was magical. Mm -hmm. And people walk right through Main Street and don't realize that they're about to go through a hundred magical places. Mm -hmm. And only some of that is attractions. Mm. Anyway, um, so I said, so what are we doing with this box of children's books? And they said, well, we don't know. We've liked what you've come up with so far. Because the, the first thing they did was give me the Beetlejuice v DVD or VHS and say, do something with that. And I wrote three pages. One was a small little dark ride type show like you'd have in Fantasyland. Mm -hmm. One was a stage show uh, with a live street element. And one was a big, you know, uh, bigger, bigger than a dark ride show where you rode in either a pickup truck or in the back in a, in a couch, like in the movie. Oh, fun. And the lady who was the producer there who had been there 13 years said, this is the best show writing I've seen in years. And when I showed it to my mom, she says, well, what are you going to do for a living? You, you can't make a living just writing three pages. And I said, mom. They're paying me $500 a day, and it took me five days to write those three pages. She says, oh, well, you should do more of this work. <laughs> she just understand that kind of economy. Right. That's so wonderful. then they, they gave me this box of children's books, and then I, and I wrote this whole kind of mini theme park for them. And I couldn't talk about it for six years until they announced Islands of Adventure. One of those islands was to be a place I called Seuss Landing. So Seuss Landing is mine. That is my, my friend Lori's favorite part of Universal Seuss Landing. It's one of the only really truly immersive parks, mm -hmm. parts of the park where you're surrounded, where it's not just a little strip on either side and then you're through it, but actually you're completely surrounded mm -hmm. by, by the theming outside of the Harry Potter areas, obviously. But well, yeah, I, I, I took Slanding's the heartless place building con concept and I said, okay, there's a particular palette. Dr. Seuss, and actually when I was living in San Diego two or three different times and going to church in La Jolla, I ran into him twice in, in the ranch market there, Dagger. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, Gessel, I mean. And, uh, very approachable. Um, anyway, I said, here's the thing about Seuss. He never uses red. He uses raspberry. Mm-hmm. He doesn't use purple. He uses periwinkle. He has a particular yellow, and it's always the same yellow if he has yellow, and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, it's almost never black. So I said, as soon as you hit Seuss Landing, two things need to change. The ground needs to shift, and the color scheme needs to shift, and never go back till you leave on the other side. And I started to cry when I first went there because they did that. The ground shifts a little bit. Oh, and I said, the first thing you'll see is a little hut where they're selling green eggs and hams because everybody's going to ask, right. Thank you, can we have green <laughs> eggs and ham here? Like we wouldn't know how to make that. No, we don't because Publix Market ran out of green dye. So <laughs> anyway, uh, well, how did I Disney today? Um, well, I just got, I'm just starting my day, so it would be you. But yesterday, how I Disney was I'm still setting up my my um, studio office, my home studio office. That's all one word: studio office with a big O in the middle. So it ends mm. studio and begins mm -hmm. office. I like that. But right. it's also my closet of curiosity. So I've got three walls of almost to the ceiling shelves. And I was working on the Adventures Club shelf the other yesterday because I, I collect um, globes and pith helmets and things of that nature. And so I was try, trying to pull together all the different mugs and canteens and things that were specifically Adventures Club. Adventures Club being one of my three or four favorite projects I worked on at an engineering. Yeah, there's, there's, well, first of all, there's so much to get to, and Adventures Club is one of them, and so we'll see what we can do here in, well, in this I'll hour or so, and, you get to your, and then, uh, and then, well, we'll definitely, you'll definitely be on, an, on other episodes, because we, we want to just pull as much, we, as because we I want to talk about Adventures Club, exactly, so, so, but I do want to start kind of early on, because I know that you met Walt Disney, and I know the, well, I know the ending to the story that hopefully you're going to tell us here, uh, and I don't want to spoil it with the punchline. I say punchline like it's a joke. It's a real story. That's wonderful, but I don't want to mess up the Walt Disney line there. So uh, if you could just tell us a little bit about uh, what happened as, in your younger days when you, when you met Walt. We lived in Southern California in Pasadena. Uh, we, had, we had moved to California just before I started kindergarten from Lesur, Minnesota. You'll know that name from Lesur Baby Peas. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. It is the town southwest of Minneapolis that at one time, no longer, was the home of the Green Giant Company. And um, okay. we ended up in Pasadena after a series of weird uh, twists and turns, some of which are even more interesting than meeting Walt Disney, but that's another podcast. And my mother, she was one of those people who was just, you know, you look up talent in the dictionary and there she was. Um, she was a visual artist. She was a musician. She was a speech. Her training was in speech pathology, speech coaching for children oh. mm -hmm. with speech impediments. And um, drama director and so on. Wrote an original play every year for our church um, Christmas pageant and so on. And you you think, well, you just do it, tell a Christmas story. Oh, no, 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 no. There's so many ways to do that. Well, my father was in the Naval Reserve, which meant once a month he had to put in a weekend somewhere. And he eventually got himself transferred to a, um, uh, a Navy outpost, which was in an old uh, elementary school in Pasadena that was at the end, at the very end, the, the, the terminus of the Rose Parade, mm. um, uh, this small little school. And it was, a, it was a CB unit. And CB is Construction Battalion. And they're the ones that go in and build things. And they've been, they invented um, underwater cement. You could take a bag of cement and pour something into a form underwater and it would dry and be solid. So on and so on and so on. Hmm. 
Well, because of where they were, they, over the years, had become a host to a um, end-of-the-parade buffet lunch for the mayor, the Tournament of Roses queen and her court, and whomever the guest celebrity grand marshal was. That person was always announced usually in February of the year before. So in February of 65, when they announced that next year's grand marshal would be Walt Disney, my dad as community liaison there, Commander Wilson, called the <laughs> studio and said, we'll be hosting uh, Mr. Disney and wondering if he had any dietary proclivities. It was interesting. His secretary said, no one's ever asked us that. And he did a lot of public speaking and lunches and so on. And no one had ever said, does he have any favorite foods, any favorite coffee, tea, whatever. And he was actually a pretty simple guy. They'd say, well, he likes black coffee, likes it to be hot. And he mm -hmm. says, we can do that. We do too. So then he called back and, oh, and I said, when I had dinner, I said, are we going to get to meet him? He said, let me check. And he says, you know, the officers here between all of us probably have a dozen kids. Would Mr. Disney be available for those kids to meet? And they probably just want to get his autograph. And they said, of course. So the parade is over. He goes to the bathroom. Somebody hands him a cup of coffee right away. And, um, um, oh, also the Navy had prepared for him at the beginning of the parade, they gave him a thermos full of coffee. So he had coffee in the car, um, which nobody, I guess, had ever thought. I mean, it's just amazing. You know, you get, wow. you get with the right people and they know what to do. It's like in speaking, if I could be with the Salvation Army every time I go to speak, I know all the details would be taken care of. They just, mm -hmm. they're just brilliant at it. And, and nothing fancy, but they're just brilliant at it. Nice. So we all are ushered into this room, these kids, with Mr. Disney, uh, and now it's a, it's a former elementary school, so it's a linoleum floor. And the Navy has waxed the floor, polished the floor, shined the polish, and waxed the shine. And so it's pretty slippery, and he said, I need to sit down. And I went and grabbed a chair from the other side of the room, and I came running across the, 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 the room. Now, my birthday is January 4th. This is Janu January 1st, 1966. So I'm three days shy of my 14th birthday. I'm not, I'm not, not a grown up, but I'm not, not a little kid either. And something, my tennis shoes, something caught. The chair came up loose from my hand, slid across the room and hit Walt Disney in the shin. At which I heard him say, <laughs> and grab the chair and sit down. And I thought, me or some parts of me are going to hell in the next few moments. <laughs> and deservedly so. And so I went and stood in a corner not knowing what to do. Uh, I was too terrified to even have the energy to leave the room. Oh my gosh. Meanwhile, all these kids got their autograph and disappeared. Two minutes later, I hear, hey! And I turn around and it's me and Walt Disney alone in this elementary classroom. And I said, gee, Mr. Disney, I'm so sorry. It slipped out of my hand. It slipped, I, I, and I'm walking towards him. And he says, I'm fine, I'm fine. And he lifts his pant leg and he said, see, no bruises. Well, that wasn't the reveal. The reveal was he was wearing knee socks with garters. What? <laughs> and I said, well, and I said, wow, just wow. And he goes, yeah, isn't that cool? It's like suspenders for socks. And I, I have the most, most vivid memory. This is, this is January, 1966. And I remember it like it happened two minutes ago. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm standing here looking at Walt Disney's hairy leg and his sock suspenders. <laughs> he says, yeah, he says, and he, and, he, and he bounced his leg up and down to show me the socks didn't move. He said, I haven't touched them since I put them on this morning. Yeah. 
And so he said, oh. he said, what do you got there? And I said, it's my sketchbook. And I had a ring binder sketchbook. He said, can I look? And he starts to thumb, thumb through. And all these drawings of trains and little towns. And he says, ooh, trains. You like trains? I said, I do. I, like, I do like trains. He said, you like my trains? I said, I like all of them. I like the big train that goes all the way around the park so you can see everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and he says, why do you like that? I says, well, we have a lot of relatives that come. And, and we first thing we do is we get on the train and go around the, go around the park. Everybody else likes to run down the street and go to the stuff. And we like to you know, show them everything. And he said, what? And he's nodding, you know. And, and he says, so, see, and he says, in all these towns, he says, what, what do you want to do here? Do you want to be an, an artist or an architect? <clears throat> well, I had seen on Wonderful World of Color, the Sunday night show, mm-hmm. some months before that, maybe a year or two before that, Walt was showing the current Disneyland ambassador around WED, which became Imagineering, and said, and said to her, now, Diane, this, I don't know if her name was Diane, but this is our, uh, this is Claude. He's our head Imagineer on our, one of our new attractions. And I yelled at my mom, Imagineer, Imagineer, what is that? She said, just keep listening. And it's not like I could run to my computer and look it up. I mean, it's 1966. <laughs> and, and it was Claude Coates. And he was showing them the model for Imagineering. This is on TV. And I was just drooling. And he said, so when Walt Disney said, what do you want to be, an architect? He said, no, he says, I want to be an Imagineer. He goes, Imagineer, yes. Like your friend Claude. He goes, Claude Coates. And they said, right. And, and help you design more stuff for Disneyland. And he poked me on the shoulder, on the front of my shoulder. And he said, and so you shall be. Oh. Fast forward, I'm a consultant at Imagineering while doing all the street theater in Italy and the United Kingdom. And we were doing the groundbreaking for the Disney MGM Studios. Uh-huh. And a b- bunch of the guys had come out. And, and after the groundbreaking, Marty Sklar came over and I'd met him. And he said, he said, um, have you got time to join us for dinner? And so we're sitting in Alfredo's of Rome. And it's Marty, Bob Weiss, now president of Imagineering. Chris Carradine, the architect for Pleasure Island. Um, Rick Rothschild, who was show director for Pleasure Island and worked on with Randy Bright, did American Adventure. Uh, Lynn Macer, um, her job is too long to explain, but one of my favorite people there. And Peter Rummel, who was head of the old Disney Development Company, which in the old days was a separate company, now it's part of Imagineering, that does everything that's not a theme park. Mm-hmm. They do all the signage and the roads and the hotels and the, you know, somebody from, um, from the studio called them real estate pirates. And, um, <laughs> <clears throat> you know, they're the ones that put, that, that did the license for the swan and the dolphin and put them too tall and too close to Imagineering. And we had a hissy fit. So Eisner says, well, what's wrong with that? And I said, we'll build a model and show you. And he walked in the model room and we had a model of the, la- the swan and the dolphin that we'd made, just with white foam pour, but their shapes next to the Epcot model. He said, boy, they're big. He said, but how? He said, where are they in, t- in, in relation to Epcot? He said, right where they are on the model. He goes, ooh, that's close. Where are they in terms of scale? And Marty kept saying, Michael, those are how big those hotels will be next to Epcot, and they're going to overnight make World Showcase look like a little tiny place. So that suddenly the Eiffel Tower won't look like it's off in the distance. It'll look like a little toy Eiffel Tower sitting on top of a building. Mm-hmm. And it was the, one of the biggest, and, and it's the first time I heard Michael Eisner say a, dirt, a dirty word. It was fun. He goes, oh, goodness, he said. But that's <laughs> not the word. And, 
And he turned to Peter Rummel and he says, what were you guys thinking? Well, they wanted to have hotels near the, you know. Anyway, so I said, so we're sitting at dinner and um, Marty says, didn't you tell me you met Walt one time? And I told him the story. And he said, you know, he poked me like that a couple of times. He says, I'm, I'm sure he did that. Well, if that's what he did, and he pulled out one of his business cards and he wrote on the back of it and handed it down to me. And we had been talking over dinner. I'd been consulting once a month, my partner, Herb Hansen and I, who started SAC Theater, which were the, the company that was hired at Ep to do um, Italy at Epcot, 10 shows a day for three months. And within mm. one week, they'd, we had added to it to, to the United Kingdom, and by 1985, we're doing 45 shows a day at Epcot, five different wow. projects. And this Marty, Marty Scolari's business card came down the table, and I said, well, thank you. He said, look on the back. And in his, in his famous red flare pen ink, it said, wish you were here, Marty Scolari. Gosh. And I said, is this a job offer? And he says, yes. How soon can you join us full time? But when I told him the oh Walt story, he said, that sounds like Walt. Now I've got to hire you. Oh and I didn't get a picture of Walt. I never got Walt's autograph. Later on in the week, I said, I didn't get his autograph. Didn't give me. He says, no, we, 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 I'll take care of that. Okay, fast forward now to 2008. Mm -hmm. And I'm moving here to Colorado Springs to work for a big nonprofit. And I was living in a wonderful loft in a 1917 cotton mill factory in Oakland, California. 18-inch brick walls. My favorite place I've ever lived and I've owned houses. And this is better. And I said, I'm going to go through every box of stuff I have. Excuse me, it takes, it's, okay. it's hard to tell this story. Um, and I found a manila envelope, about an eight by 10 envelope. And it said, my first name is Craig. That's the C in C. Mm -hmm. Wilson. It just said Craig slash WD. And I opened it up. And every year they do a magazine size program for the Rose Parade. And here was the page ripped out of the program that had Walt Disney's picture and a paragraph about him. And across the front of it in ballpoint pen, probably my dad's ballpoint pen, was Walt Disney's autograph, which I had all those years and didn't know I had it. That is oh amazing. Oh. I would I have, have that in such a big frame above my Oh, my gosh. Off. I would have, <laughs> I have like... a couple of snapshots that my dad took with his Argosy 3 camera of my mom's decorated table with Walt standing there in line behind the Rose Queen and, you know, getting ready to go down the line uh, to, to, to have lunch. Wow. That's, that's the, have you ever met Walt story? That is, that is. By the way, did I say, yes, I have met it. <laughs> I, I just, I, I don't know. I think if I found that in my belongings, I think I'd just pass out. I think I'd pass out. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's actually not my favorite Disney possession, but it's, it's, it's up there. Um, the interesting thing about that, that's January of 66. And in December of 66, Walt Disney died. Oh, that's right. Right. So this was as close to the end. Wow. Hmm. Well, we know you spent some time working on the, the, the SAC Theater. You said you mentioned mm -hmm. working with Epcot and everything. And, and then obviously the transition to, to being an Imagineer. Um, how involved were you in the creation of Hollywood Studios or I guess Disney MGM at the time? Mm -hmm. And uh, like what? I know you had your hand in Tower of Terror, and that's another subject hopefully we'll get to. Which is one of minutes. my top three yeah. rides we'll, of we'll, all time. We'll definitely want to get to that in a minute. Oh, yeah. but I didn't, you know, like, if it was your favorite, you wouldn't have to use the word three in that sentence. I know. It, <laughs> that's it's okay. Top three is good. It's top three. It's yeah, in it my top three, so we're doing pretty good. I'm, I'm <laughs> like, what uh, else well, did you have your hand in in Hollywood Studios? What else? Uh, like, I know you're part of the design team, but. We got a, we got a call, we meaning my partner, uh, Herb Hans. Herb Hans and I were in a, a street theater company together in San Diego called Lamb's Players, which is a Christian-based theater company that did old medieval-style 
plays with a Christian message. They're very funny, very bawdy, very, you know, in, 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 in college campuses all across the country. And, and when I knew I was leaving that company and Herbie thought he would go back to the University of Minnesota to finish a degree, he said, we should do something. We should work together again. And I said, okay. And the Minnesota Renaissance Festival called him because they didn't hire, rehire Lambs players because that was a troop of 16. And so we met for breakfast and I said, Herbie, you, nobody tells a story better than you or I. And his w- wife cleared her throat. <clears> throat. And I said, you're in the top three, Brunel, probably something like that, right? And, and I said, you know, my mom, when she was a drama teacher in junior high school, you'd go into the drama room and there'd be a row of grocery bags, big brown grocery bags. And she'd say, grab a bag. And one of them might have a top hat, white gloves, and a cane. Another one might have a lady's hat with the netting down over the eyes and a purse and maybe a string of pearls. Another one might be a cowboy hat, a a vest, and a a sheriff's mask, so on, so on, so on. Mm -hmm. Then there would be a derby there with strips of paper, and you'd open it up, and it would say, um, it would say, fancy party in the Beverly Hills, or it might say a beach party (laughs) in Huntington Beach, something. And so you would put on these bits of costume, assume a character, and I said, you know, we've all got extra bits of costumes and pieces. Why don't we get some of those burlap sacks that everybody has at Renaissance festivals, mm-hmm. put the extra piece of costume in them, grab a group of people just in the middle of the festival, not on a stage, because we don't want to pretend that we're something fancy, and, and pull people out of the audience and tell a story. Well, there's this famous story from the Middle Ages that is um, King Gorbaduck and Herbie and I said, we'll do that one. So we told the festival, we'll come and we'll do something. And uh, from the very first show, pulling people out of the audience, Sack Theater was an instant hit. And by the second weekend, they said, can you, are you guys available when the festival's over to go do our show down in Kansas City? We said, yeah. So six years later, we're doing 30 Renaissance festivals a year and Disney quote unquote discovers us and invites us to be at Epcot because they'd come to the Renaissance Festival in Largo near St. Petersburg and saw us there. So we're in the offices of of the vice president of creative entertainment for Epcot. And he pulls out this file full of letters from all these little college groups that had done street theater and they had been looking for a street theater troupe. Every letter mentions SAC theater and we spelled it S-A-K. So it was our own name. That's all. That's Mm -hmm. where it it came from. But, but um, S-A-C-K looked like SAC, like a bag and we didn't give it away. And uh, Peter says, we know what you do. We love it. He's going on and on and on. I said, let me stop you there. And they showed us the blueprints for this huge commedia cart with speakers hidden behind banners and blah, blah, blah. And I said, we just need a simple little cart like we have at the festival. And I said, Peter, why don't we pretend we're going to work together come October? This is May, 82, Epcot opens October. Why don't we pretend SAC is going to work for you at Epcot, Italy? What would that sound like? And he said, well, that cuts about two hours of BS out of my life. And he didn't say the abbreviated version of BS. He, he, he used the, you know, the full all-American version. <laughs> and we all laughed and he scratched out a letter, looked at it, Herbie and I initialed it, secretary typed it up. And a month later we came back and did two shows at the Walt Disney World Shopping Village or like one of the shopping, whatever it was called then, yep. back then. Yeah, yeah. And it was called that because when Walt did the bubble chart, the big chart you see him, him stand with the circles and in the circle it say Shopping Village. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not a name. It's a placeholder. <laughs> but it just stuck. It's the reason Contemporary Resort Hotel is called Contemporary Resort Hotel because there was a circle with the words Contemporary Resort Hotel. That's not a name. <laughs> oh, my God. 
Same thing with Polynesian <laughs> Resort Hotel. That's not a name. And Mar uh, Marty told me one time that he and John Hench had put two teams together and had a whole logo and, and image and branding for those two hotels to get rid of Contemporary Resort. And, and they said, you know, we've, that's what we've been calling it. Let's just stick with that. <laughs> that's why those two places, you know, those two big fancy places have a dump of a name. And when oh, we were building amazing. Disney MGM Studios, we said, well, there'll be Grauman's Chinese Theater, and it'll be great moments at the movies. That's the name of the extraction. And Frank Wells one day, a lovely man, a brilliant attorney, Clint Eastwood's buddy, said, you know, everybody's just going to call it the movie ride. Why don't we just call it the movie ride? No. <laughs> so I did a list of all the rides in the Magic Kingdom and renamed them. Like, <laughs> Raven-haired girl and her seven short friends. <laughs> Green flying boy. <laughs> on and on and on and on and on. Big white boat. Oh that was the Mark Twain. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, I love it. And, and so we, we, we fought and fought and fought and finally got, ooh, to add the word great to movie ride. The that's why it's called the Great Movie Ride, <laughs> not because it's a good name, but because that's it was going to be. I do movie. miss that ride, though. I do miss it. I miss it in its heyday when it was oh, when it when everything was running, when the Footlight yes. Parade moved, when you could understand that the 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 the, uh, the cast mm -hmm. member from the back mm -hmm. of the tram. Yeah. I I loved that ride. So in we're in a, we're in a meeting in the in the entertainment department at, um, conference room in the PICO, P-I-C-O building behind Epcot with Bob Weiss and, and may he rest in peace, Randy Bright, Vice President of Creative Development. They said, we love you guys. We've been watching you since the cast preview nights the week before Epcot opened. We want to know if you can come and help us put whatever it is you're doing into attractions. Hmm. And so we went out a couple of weeks later and one of the first meetings we went to was with Bob Weiss, who had been assigned... <clears throat> They'd been talking about doing a, a, a movie pavilion in Future World for a long time. And there's a picture of that if you can find it online. And Eisner said, that's not enough. Build me a small theme park and we'll pick up people in trams from the shopping village. Take them over. He said, mm -hmm. maybe do a lot back lot, do the Golden Girls house and we'll mm -hmm. think of some other things. The Pollyanna house and all these things are going to be reproductions. We built the Golden Girls house. It was never actually used in the, in the show. That was a, a real house in, I don't know, South Florida or something. Mm -hmm. So our first meeting at Imagineering in Glendale was in a room with about six or eight of us talking about what, what would a movie theme park place be. And Bob says, we're, we're thinking if, if we use Disneyland as, as a metaphor that Main Street becomes Hollywood Boulevard and mm -hmm. we said, well, what would the end of, end of the street be? And we talked about the mountains with the Hollywood land sign. We talked about Griffith Observatory. And I don't remember who said it, but when they did, we all knew it was the right answer, Chinese theater. Right. Um, because it's as castle a thing as you can get without being a castle. And I still have a, uh, the page from a little um, sketchbook with my pencil drawing of, that I was drawing as everybody else was brainstorming what that street would be. And that was March of... 85, maybe 86. Mm. And what was the question? 
I was just I was asking about what you had your hand in, in Hollywood Studios because I know you were part of the design team, which yeah, you, and, you and kind Michael, of answered it overall, which is great. Well, yeah, Michael, which... Michael Eisner was a huge fan of SAC and a street theater, and he says you got to have some SAC street theater there. You got to have some SAC street theater there, and we never used the word SAC at Epcot all those years that that we were there. Because the, the creative entertainment guys, and they're, they're, they're nice enough people, but they're basically, I mean, I'm still friends with, I ran into him, he was at, he stopped by for a day at the Thing conference last, last spring. Right. Um, the guy who was head of creative entertainment at the time, um, you know, he was, uh, he was in the Long Beach, Cal State Long Beach marching band and mm-hmm. Disneyland summer college band, whatever that is, and blah, blah, blah. So I, I had always said of Disney, um, entertainment that it was it was two things it was marching bands and parades and sometimes they were on a street and sometimes they were on a stage and there's nothing wrong with that it's just that's that's all that is and i just thought could would you ever think about like telling a story doing a mini musical i mean why couldn't we do snow white in 30 minutes we did romeo and juliet in 30 minutes it's a four-hour play and um and and so he kept saying, got to have some street theater. And then Herbie and I, we'd go to meetings and then we'd go back to the hotel and take a break. And then we all go out to dinner, the Imagineering guys, because we'd go there once a month for a week. And um, and they said, we're going to pay you to be here for the week. If people use you, great. If they don't. And so Herbie would go off and talk to us, Berry Farm and Universal and all the other companies. And I would just snoop around. And we found that, for example, when I dropped in on the team that was building a, Disney's first full-fledged water park, Mm-hmm. I said, who who runs this place? I understand the whole typhoon thing and so on. I said, well, who runs this little surf shop over here? I said, what do you mean? I said, who's the guy? Who's the husband and wife? Who's the person? And we found that when we, we anthropomorphized the place, when we gave it a person, it changed the place. So we never got the characters that I designed for Typhoon Lagoon, but it severely affected in a good way what all those places were like. Mm-hmm. In the same way, when, when we decided to do the last house on Hollywood Boulevard, and it would be a place run by dear old Sid Kawenga and all the movie memorabilia he'd collected. Yeah. I right away, a guy popped into my head, an actor friend who I'd known from being a guest artist at his college, Bethel College in St. Paul, Minnesota. I thought, it's Al Rassam in Hawaiian shirt and a different hat every day from the movies of Pith Hellman's and, a, you know, all these different things. And he'd say, oh, come on in. We got stuff from the movies. And if you go to YouTube and watch the making of Disney MGM, there he is doing that while I'm standing out saying, and I said to Herbie, I said, what if instead of a street theater show somewhere on the back lot or over here, what if Hollywood Boulevard was populated by the citizens of Hollywood? And yes. one of the, one of the troubles that I'd seen at Epcot was they had asked me to do um, Dreamfinder. And I said, only if you let me make Figment talk, because I used to do ventriloquism. Uh-huh. So I scooted up. And I did it. And, oh, hello. You know, and the whole thing. And, and they said, well, if you'd make Figment talk, they're going to have to have all the other guys make Figment talk. There were three other or two other guys at the time, I guess. And I said, ventriloquism is a learned skill. Nobody's mm-hmm. born with that. I could teach them to do it. I said, all we need is two or three other portly ventriloquists. That shouldn't be a tough find. <laughs> But because they wouldn't let me make Figment talk, I refused to do it. So right. I put the suit on one time backstage. So we hired other friends of mine from Renaissance Festivals who proceeded to shave off their beard so they could put on a fake beard. Because, you know. He's got uh, the we, right beard. Well, that's right. what we did at SAC Theater. We all shaved our beards off. They said, well, we'll bring on one of the studio makeup artists out. I said, so it's not whether or not the character has a beard. It's who owns the hair. 
anywho, so I, I, I started drawing these, these cartoons in my sketchbook and I came the next day, photographed them, put them on a wall and I asked Bob, I said, let's put the team together. And I said, so you come down Main Street and there are the people of Main Street. I said, nobody does a better job of creating these places. And I talked to him about mm -hmm. being on Main Street in high school and how transformative that was to see that place with all the lights on and the music running and nobody else there but me and a handful of other people. Yeah. And I said, let's, let's leverage that. And so because one of the problems with DreamFinder was a kid would come up to DreamFinder and he'd been there a few days ago or a year ago and said, hi, remember me? And he didn't remember the kid because that was Steve Taylor and the kid had met Ron Schneider. Right. To the kid, it's the same guy. Mm -hmm. So I said, I'm going to hire two women, one to be Tallulah Bankhead and one to be, I forget the other lady's name. And they'll both have big hats and so on, but they'll, have, they'll each have their own personality. So when you meet this actress in that outfit, when you next day meet the other actress and the other, it's not the same character at all. So there yeah. were Nobody was playing, if, if there were different people playing a policeman, that's fine, but they had their own take, their own names. And when we were auditioning, we did 10 cities in 28 days looking for the, for the actors for, for um, Hollywood Boulevard, Comedy Warehouse, and Adventures Club. And then some of the ones that didn't make that cut, uh, we said, we can't relocate you, but if you move to Florida, you'll have a job doing a couple of other things like the like the great moments of the movie um posts and so on <clears throat> so my bob weiss saw these characters said that's the best theme park idea i've seen in 10 years and so we sh we we were doing happened to be that week we were also doing a presentation our quarterly presentation to all the big wigs at um at the studio and i said to michael one time i said i said i like the way you're wearing your hair well he didn't have his toupee on and he said, you really are a big wig. <laughs> he thought that was so funny. And um, one of my characters, Sid Cuenga, not Sid Cuenga, uh, Mel Rose, agent to the stars. I love him. <laughs> one day we're standing there during soft opening and Dick Nunes came up to me who ran all the parks. And Dick Nunes was a tough guy, very tough guy. And a lot of people didn't get along with him. And I made it my life's goal to get along with him. And we did. He liked what I did, and I appreciated him. And several, several times at a meeting where he turned to me and said, hey, you haven't said anything. Come on. You're the, you're the creative guy in the room, and you're in a room with 50 of the most creative people from all of the company. And so I learned to just listen. And uh, so he comes up to me one day and says, hey, hey, you're a uh, uh, Hollywood agent guy, uh, Mel. I said, Mel Rose. Yeah, yeah. He just called me sweetie. So right away, I extend my hand, and I said, I said hi, Dick. And he, he took his... Uh, he shook my hand and that, you know, took him down from boiling to very, very hot. And I said, I said, he called you sweetie. I said, well, maybe he doesn't know your name. I said, was it the word you didn't like or his attitude? And he thought, he got very pensive and he said, let's go with the word. I said, it's gone. He said, but, and it was a, a big problem to him. So quickly solved by me. I got nothing. I, the words are not worth a dime to me. It's gone. We'll never call anybody sweetie. Gone. Where even though every other human being on the planet would not be offended by it, that's all right. But he was. Right. And I walked over to George, who played him, and I said, uh, Mel, walk with me for a minute. We walked and I talked. I said, you met my friend Dick Nunes. What a sweetheart. I said, it's not his name. It's Dick. And this is a guy who would go up to female cast members and said, 
So you're Jen looking at your name tag. You don't look like a Jen. And they would, re they would reflexively say, well, you don't look like a dick. And he loved that. <laughs> and he would do it all the time to cute girls. <laughs> but we can't call him sweetie. Oh, so, that's spectacular. So I, so I put up all the, all, the, all the street characters and covered them up. And I said, you walk down Hollywood and first you might meet, boom. And then I did an impression of Sid Coenga. And the wow. drawing I did was of my friend, Al Arasim. Anyway, we got done and Eisner said, I love it, I love it, I love it. And he knew that Walt Disney, when he liked something, would call it a home run. And Eisner said, this is definitely a grand slam. Now, all my other imaginary friends are standing against the back wall till it's their turn. Eric Jacobson, who was a show producer on, I'm sorry, but I'll default to the real name. Great moments of the movie, he said, Mm -hmm. Grand Slam, Grand Slam. Nobody ever gets a Grand Slam. He doesn't even work here. I <laughs> and Eisner says, so is it street theater? Is it atmosphere? Because he said, he said, he had said to me one time, what about those lookalike characters at Disney at, at Universal? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and I said, mm -hmm. I said, Michael, before I did the presentation, I said, Michael, you and I talked about the lookalike characters at Universal. I said, I went out for a week one time and for part of three days, I watched them. And people walk by them and they point and they say, oh, look. And whether or not they say it, what they're thinking is, oh, look, two young actors dressed up pretending to be Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz mm -hmm. who are both, by the way, dead. And then <laughs> walk right on by. About 10% of the guests would go over and say, can we have our picture taken? And they get their picture taken. And then they'd move on. Right. Not standing to talk to these actors who had gone out of their way to take on the mannerisms and learn their backstory yeah. and some of their idiosyncrasies. And I thought, you know, plus they're paying royalties to this sleazy lawyer in Hollywood right. who charges you to use their image. And I said, we're going to just use the generic characters. So I proceeded to do all these characters. Michael said, I love it. Grand Slam. He said, now is this street theater? Is it atmosphere? I said, nope, it's street atmosphere. And the room went silent. <coughs> street is here. Is that your word? I said, don't worry. I'm working on a licensing agreement with Marty. <laughs> so now you go to any theme park in the world and somewhere on their entertainment schedule, it'll say street atmosphere mm. uh, throughout the park daily. I love it. That's all because of you. I, I love, love it. And we are back. Jen, that was awesome. Oh my gosh. Like, just listening to that again was like. Yeah, it was fun. And just he's so. Oh good. Uh, and, and somebody told me too. They were like, he's great. He's a little chatty, but he's great. And he's very chatty, which I want him to be. Absolutely. I want him to be like the grandfather that also has all these stories and just tells you everything. And so yeah. it's a really, really super guy. But uh, find great. us. Uh, Main Street Electrical Podcast. We are located online. We are on Twitter, on Insta, and on Facebook at the MSE Podcast. Uh, mm -hmm. You find me at at all those things, and of course online at the MSE Podcast Go check out mm -hmm. the show notes. You can find interview stuff there. We're gonna have a contact page up. Well, we have a contact page up now for you and I. All our contact information yes. is there. Find us on Twitter, find us on Instagram, all that good stuff. We're also gonna have a friend of the show page up where you can see mm -hmm. how to get in touch with you know our our guests mm -hmm. coming up. Uh, friend of the show is also include how you like it, how you like our intro by the way oh my gosh i love our intro great a whole lot john lee iverson he is the final ringmaster for the ringling brothers of barton bay circles before he was, it kind of closed he's down such a kind man he's such he's a good just, guy such, such a good, good guy great we're gonna have this he's information so up there as well so we like to end every show with a magic moment jen let's have a little happy magic moment to end this show Okay, happy magic moment. This one actually happened to me. I love so this it. was a yeah. And this actually was on an adventures by Disney. So still Disney, 
you know, Disney is all about the magic moments where, you know, no matter which of their products, Disney World, Disneyland, Disney Cruise, you know, Aulani or Adventures by Disney. I was on a... Well, just so, a let's stop you right there. Just for the uninitiated, yeah. Adventures by Disney, is that like a tour through the Magic Kingdom? Is That's that like question. an Epcot adventure through Spaceship Earth? What is Adventures by Disney, the 30-second pitch? The 30-second pitch, Adventures by Disney lets you see the world in uh, Disney style and with Disney excellence and all of the big name things that Disney can bring, but it's not a theme park. It's not the characters. Interesting. It is phenomenal. It, you can go, I've done Italy with Adventures by Disney. I've done a Rhine River cruise. And you might be like, I don't want to go see Mickey Mouse in Europe. Um, it's not. I'm telling you, it is not like Disney in your face, like characters. It is the excellence. It's the service. It's the magic. And it's one of a kind, unique VIP the whole way. Mm -hmm. Love it. Cannot recommend it enough. Uh, but I, way back in 2016, I did a one day just... They were invited a bunch of agents down. And at that time, they had a long weekend Nashville because they do have domestic trips, really good ones. Nice. Um, and so I did this Nashville, which they have since stopped doing Nashville. But when we were there, they found out that I play piano. And because I am a musician. Yes. Yep. And of course, Nashville music, you know, mm -hmm. central. While we were touring the Grand Ole Opry, backstage, mind you, seeing all the special things, all the mm -hmm. dressing rooms, all the things that you don't get That's to see amazing. normally, which was really cool, they find out that I play piano. The next stop was the RCA Studios, where Elvis himself recorded many things, including Blue Christmas. Mm -hmm. All the people recorded there. Right. The grand piano that Elvis used for all of his music that he himself would play that is not allowed to be touched. There is a do not touch sign on that grand piano. And... They found out that I play, that I know how to play, and they invited me up, and I got to do a little, like, three-minute concert. Oh, that's amazing. And I got to play a piece of music that I wrote. I actually threw it up on YouTube. I think you can still find it on the Upon a Star um, mm -hmm. somewhere, but it is, it was, like, amazing. I was shaking. It was so cool. That so is amazing. That was a magic moment because as a musician and- right. That is, that, that is there. amazing. Very cool. That's that's fantastic. Adventures by Disney sounds cool. I cannot wait to go on a yeah, trip with Adventures very, by very Disney. Cool. And uh, it's it looks it's exciting. It really is. It is. And it is one of those things where I mean I feel like it's almost too good to be true. Like you're going to tell me, well, they have access to things that a lot of tour groups don't. They have locals to offer local experiences mm -hmm. and whatever trips you have. Um, yep. You know, it's not a Mickey Mouse Club kind of thing. You're you're mm -hmm. paid with a group of other groups of, of families and adults and things mm -hmm. like that. And you know, you get fine dining, cuisine, local experience. <sighs> Amazing. I mean, you're going to tell me all that stuff is that, that stuff can't be real. Is that right? Or yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that is all 100% true. In fact, we should what? do a full episode on it. Yes, we that's, I, a, that's in the we notes. We really should yeah. because I'm talking like I was in the Sistine Chapel with 15 people and we had half an hour. That is to amazing. just be in the Sistine Chapel. That's great. And like stare and study the things. And if you anybody's been there, you know, typically you're shoulder to shoulder and you're like being just like ushered through and you're like, oh, and like you're right. looking quickly and it's, it's not, right. we had time and it was, right. we had a, a dogent who was there like say, or docent, togent. Um, <laughs> think of dogent, the doges palace, uh, a docent there who was just pointing out, here's what they mean here. This is why he painted it this way. This was this, like telling us the stories. It was phenomenal. Right. That is, well, I will say this though. I haven't seen anything about Adventures by Disney uh, trip to Clanton, Alabama, to the Peach Park, where you can get peach ice cream. So until that happens, I don't know if it's 
I don't, I don't know, know if it's really if, if it's is it really it legit. Could be, but you know, we'll we'll make do with trips to Italy and Australia and Africa and Egypt and all that places like that. <laughs> yeah, whatever. So, Jen, this has been wonderful. Uh, we will talk to you next week uh, on the Main Street Electrical Podcast. We got some other fun stuff coming up, as always. Another guest in the works for episode four coming up in a few weeks, and yeah, uh, we're gonna have some from fun people coming up for our Father's Day episode, and we got all kinds of great plans. So we want you guys to keep listening to the show, uh, the That's the show notes, and we're gonna try to find that link. Send me that link to the piano if you can find it and i'll put that in the I show notes it. i think that'd be a lot of fun uh, i will do it to see and uh you guys have a wonderful week jen thank you so much for being my co-host as always hey don't forget thank a phoenician 